The year was 1996. Five. 1995. And a brand new science fiction epic was unleashed upon the world that was set to take over the culture and the spirit in the same way that Star Wars did in 1977 or E.T. did in 1982. However, it was greeted with a collective, eh, from audiences. <laughs> and that is the film we're here to talk about tonight. That is 1995's Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic. Woo! It's up by video. Yay. Here's a movie that you never seen. Some ninjas or a crazy death machine There'll be smiles There'll be tears You won't watch a movie for about Eight billion years It's time for death By video Time for death By video And now The show will begin Hello, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. We are watching Johnny Mnemonic tonight, the Canadian-American co-production. Uh, this film has been championed for a long time by our own Kit Lewis. Well, I, it's just something I remember from my youth, and it's just a funny name to say. But I thought we should watch it in particular this year, and I think Graham's on board with this, is because it is set in the very futuristic year of 2021. Yes, it never saw the coronavirus coming. <laughs> By the way, I just want to say this is the first episode we've done where we're all fully vaxxed. Yes, I just got vaxxed uh, two days ago. Yeah. The soreness has come down. Mm-hmm. We're vaxxed, waxed, and ready to chillax. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sitting in a hot tub now, actually. <laughs> I'm not completely waxed, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Kit, so do you want to uh, say anything about Giant Demonic before we get into what we've seen in the last week? Uh, listen, I, I was uh, put in charge of uh, doing a little research for this film, but... Um, uh, I, I had a hectic uh, end of the week, and I completely forgot. But, however, I've done some quick research. Um, it's just, it's uh, based on the uh, short uh, short science fiction uh, story by William Gibson. The um, gra- godfather of cyberpunk. That's correct, yes. Um, it's uh, first featured in Omni magazine in 1981. Um, and, yeah, it actually does factor into a lot of his uh, cyberpunk uh is his greater cyberpunk universe it, it involves mm-hmm. uh, some of the same characters it predates a few of those stories as well which we should also note was a huge influence on billy idol's 1993 album <laughs> cyberpunk uh this was a uh, directed uh this is the uh, feature film directorial debut of robert longo um who i don't know he's he's more of a yeah he is a conceptual or he's, he's an artist sculptor like if you're familiar with the replacements album, Tim, he did the Ooh, cover for that. So. Very nice. I think he also did a couple music videos I'm probably blanking on. Or if you're a little more far out in your musical sensibilities, uh, the album cover of The Ascension by Glenn Branca. He, yeah, I don't know that one. Okay, that, that, that's a great album uh, for all you no-wave heads, especially Sonic Youth heads, fans. Nice. Um, it's, um, it's set in, I think, Newark and uh, I want to say... A Jersey picture. Yeah, Newark and Beijing, but it's actually filmed mostly in Montreal and Toronto. In fact, apparently Union Station features rather prominently. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Um, apparently Longo and Gibson, Gibson also did the screenplay for that, wanted to make an art film on a small budget. Uh, but they weren't getting financing for that. However, 
because of the, uh, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here, I apologize, the unbounded spread of the internet in the early 1990s and the consequent rapid growth of high technology, culture had made cyberpunk increasingly relevant. So Sony Pictures decided to, instead of um, giving them a small budget to make an art film, uh, toss $30 million at them to make a giant film, which I guess they assumed would, as Graham pointed out, would be like a new Star Wars for, for this generation, and that mm-hmm. did not turn out to be. However, it's got kind of a stacked cast. Well, stacked cast, if you uh, are guys like us. It uh, features Keanu Reeves, of course, as the uh, titular character. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is in it. Yes! Uh, we've got Ice-T as J-Bone. Cool. Also uh, appearing in our episode on uh, uh, Mean Guns. Uh, Henry Rollins makes an appearance as oh, Spider. <laughs> hell yes. And then, of course, we've got the god Takashi Katano, Beat, to, beat Takashi, um, uh, features as Takahashi in this mm-hmm. film. So, uh, awesome. A lot to look forward to, I think. And Udo Kier. Oh, my God. Udo Kier is in this movie, the star oh, yeah. of Andy Warhol's Dracula and Andy Warhol's Frankenstein? Oh, yeah. That's correct. Cool. Um, supporting character in My Own Private Idaho, reunited with Keanu Reeves. That is true. That is true. So, so that's that's all the research I was able to cram in. Cool. All right. So before we get into this film, uh, have any of us seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Phil, what have you seen? Uh, just one movie I watched in its entirety as a chaser after I finally finished watching The Last Pogo Jumps Again. I uh, went on the TVO website and watched Picture My Face, The Story of Teenage Head. Nice. Yeah. Uh, a more somber movie than I was expecting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, because it's, despite the title, what the title suggests, it's not like a, just a general rise and fall uh, story of Teenage Head. It basically catches up to Teenage Head at the present day. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's Teenage Head in the wake of Frankie Venom's death. And uh, guitarist Gord Lewis, he's just struggling with depression. So there's a lot of that. And uh, Yeah, it's pretty heavy. I watched a bit of it because it premiered on TVO. Uh, during last year during the pandemic, and I watched mm-hmm. part of it on TVO uh, when it aired live. I think uh, Kayla Janice is a huge fan of yeah, it. Yeah, she is. I, yeah. I I was it came to my attention because of her posts about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I uh, I watched the first half and it seemed like a bummer, and it didn't make yeah. it through the second half. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like oh, this is going to be a good chase. I just want to like continue down like the Canadian punk path, and I've been listening to a lot of Teenage Head lately, so. Uh... Yeah. And then, you know, you, you have, like, Rob Baker from The Tragically Hip, and he's, like, drawing parallels. He's, like, to, like, his band's, like, oh, well, you know, because, like, he was, like, in more, because it was filmed, like, after Gord Downey died, and, you know. He, it's two Gords. Yeah, it's two Gords, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's, like, yeah, like, Gord Lewis, like, his life is empty without his band, and my life is empty without The Tragically Hip, and... Didn't the Tragically Hip do, like, new music with a different singer? Not to my knowledge. No, but there was some, like, uh, TikTok challenge where, like, Rob Baker, he was, like, playing the guitar section of, like, Head by a Century, and then, like, a bunch of, like, Canadian musicians were, like, singing, like, the harmonies. Great. They they released uh, recently, like, an EP of unreleased material that was recorded around the Road Apple days. Oh, yeah, okay. it was, like, the Road Apple sessions, and it's, like, the same cover art as, like, the Road Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, so that was the only film you watched, Kit? Phil? 
I started watching the movie Clock Watchers, which is fairly amusing so far. It's a late 90s office uh, comedy uh, mm. from 97, released the same year as the underrated uh, Cindy Sherman movie Office Killer with Carol Kane and Molly Ringwald. Sick. But uh, yeah, Clock Watchers, it's on the Criterion channel. It's with um, Parker Posey, Tony Collette, probably her first American movie. Because mm-hmm. it was just maybe like two years after Muriel's wedding, and uh, Lisa Kudrow's also in it. And this was like during like the golden age of Friends. Oh, interesting. Yeah, cool. All right, Kit, what have you seen since we last recorded? Um, I also only had time for for one movie, really. Um, and for some bizarre reason, I decided to watch um, the Chicago neorealist classic. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yes, <laughs> I I want to say I love that film, but like I don't think you can There's, I don't no. think you can love that film. You can be moved by it and think it's it's incredibly well made. I, I, I thought I was in for a classy affair with Portrait of a Tiger, <laughs> like Homer Portrait of an Ass Grabber. <laughs> Homer S Portrait of an Ass Grabber. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a uncompromisingly grim film. I, I, I saw a poster of it, though, and apparently uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert both gave it two thumbs up, and they're like, this film deserves to be seen. I'm like, by who? My God. <laughs> it definitely deserves it. It's definitely, like, to me, it's like, it's definitely film as art, more, less than film as entertainment. Um, and I remember it actually, like, it took a long time for it to be released, because it actually took four years from... So four years, yeah, because it was made in 1986, it was supposed to come out in 86, and then... Yeah. I think it was like the last movie to be rated X before the NC-17 rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it is a hard watch, but it's it's a movie I think everyone should see. Yeah. Because it's a really good movie. Yeah. I mean, it's... And that director had an interesting career after that. Didn't he? Do, he did Mad Dog and Glory, right? He did. And he also did Wild Things. Yeah. Oh, God. I enjoyed that movie at the time. Yeah. I, I, I still kind of enjoy... I, well, no, I haven't seen... <laughs> I'm sure I still enjoy it because it's uh, such a ridiculous movie and it's so self self-aware yeah I, I haven't seen wild things since i think the 90s but i remember yeah. liking it i assume i would still like it yeah i watched it once at a person's house and i had no idea that right. scene was going to happen well i remember you get to see kevin's bacon in there yeah um but egalitarian. yeah egalitarian <laughs> that's right yeah. um but also you know uh, i guess this is probably the first film from michael rooker i don't know but it was yeah uh he really made a career out of uh, psychopathic hard men mm-hmm. Um, Although he's so lovable, that's the thing. Like now, he's known as like, like a Marvel character. He's, yeah, yeah, from uh, which is great. The Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He disappeared for so long, though, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. He would do. He would do. He showed up in Law and Order. He was really great on Law and Order. He was um, in The uh, Walking Dead, like the first season. Yeah, and he was in Mallrats. Yeah. Oh, I loved him in Mallrats. <laughs> uh, he was also uh, really great in. I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod, but um, Mississippi Burning. Yeah. Um, which he plays a, a clan member in that one, and that's that's a goofy movie in terms of historical accuracy and like civil rights or whatever. You can mm-hmm. ignore it, but as just a, a a movie movie, it's good. Starring Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's a great. Well, that's the thing. It's like you you can't look to movies for reality because also the thing about Stephen Tobolowski plays the um, head of the clan. Yeah, I know it's great. <laughs> Francis McDormand yeah. is in there. Brad um, Dourif is is uh, the the corrupt deputy sheriff. Yeah. But I wanted to say, cast. Early Ermy is the mayor. Yeah, I wanted to say though, uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It is based on a real person. However, yeah. the the facts of the movie and the facts of the oh, actual yeah, the, are very different. The yeah. the well, the person it's based on, Henry Lee Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, he confessed to 
like uh, hundreds of crimes. Uh, he shot Jr. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But he was just basically he was uh, confessing to everything they brought in front of him, and mm-hmm. a lot of detectives were like, "Oh, this clears my caseload. We've got that yeah. solved." Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Um, and this would get him slightly um, easier, uh, slight some perks. I mean, he was yeah. spending his life in prison, but it would get him give him some perks, which He'd is why he confessed to everything yeah, and give him some notoriety. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's guessed that he may have just killed like two people, but it's possible he killed. Killed more, yeah. Like maybe 15 mm-hmm. or 20. Um, I, I, not, not the 300 or so that he claimed. Yeah. I, I, I do want to say that Otis in that movie would, would never win Brother of the Year. No. Tom. But for uh, a roommate who's just, you know, mm-hmm. down for whatever, my God. Yeah. Somehow <laughs> manages to be worse than Henry. Yeah, yeah, we, he should, does, yeah. Well, we should also point out uh, Otis was played by Tom Tells, who went on to play a lot of uh crappy men like he's, he he was also in Mad Dog and Glory but he was also in uh, he played um I think it's Harry Cooper is his name in the Night of the Living Dead remake that Tom Savini did in 1990 and he was great in that he also showed up in uh I think one of his last roles was in Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses cuz William Forsythe plays his brother in uh I, I checked rejects. his credits as well yeah. uh, cuz he looked familiar and I and uh, mm-hmm. it's funny the uh photo that they have of him is like he's in full makeup in a Star Trek character. Yeah. But um, he's uh, credited in House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Right, because they, they had like uh, visions of him in Rejects. He was, I think he was the best part of House, not the best part of House of a Thousand Corpses, because I still like that movie. Devil's Rejects, uh, not yeah, so much anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit skeevy. But um, cool. I mean, like, I'm glad that's the one movie you saw. Like, what, I, what happened to the actress in that? Because I do I recognize her, but I don't know from what. Yeah, I don't. Uh, let me look it up. I, 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 it's sad to say I don't know her name off the top of my head. Um, the one thing about the movie is that you know when you when you talk about indie films or independent movies, this is kind of what I have in my head, and it really did seem like that. Um, yeah, it's a movie that is a main stu- that a major studio could never tell. Yeah, and you can also tell like these are. I don't want to say amateur actors. I think they're professional actors, but like there's a rawness to everything. Yeah, well, they came. A lot of them came from theater, which is the case with, uh, with, um, uh, with Michael Rooker for sure. Um, and did you know though? There's a sequel. I did Henry know there's a sequel, which I've I can't never seen. It being very good. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I'm kind of okay. Yeah, Tracy Arnold played Becky. That was the the sister's character. Yep. Um. She was in an episode of Baywatch. Uh, I see a lot of random stuff here. The, oh, okay. So, the so Prince her career never really did the shot. Off. Sex, Love, and Hard Cash. Yeah, she didn't really go. She was in The Borrower. But yeah. I've never seen Henry Portrait of Serial Killer 2, but I kind of want to know what that's about. Because that was... You know, with sequels, they always got to up the ante. But it probably yeah. is not... No longer an art film. It's just a... Straight to video cash in. Yeah, exploitation. That came out in the late 90s, from what I understood. It doesn't have anybody from the original in it. Henry Portrait from 1996 with Penelope Milford, whoever that is. And Henry II picks up where the original left off. Henry, who played by a different actor, obviously, uh, takes a thankless job at a Portageon company where he meets husband and wife, Kai and Cricket. Uh, they take pity on the homeless drifter and offer him a room in their home. They share with their emotionally fragile teenage niece, Louisa. Henry learns that Kai has a side job as an arsonist for hire, setting up phony insurance scams to make money for their boss, Reuter. 
He agrees to join Kai on one of their first outings. And they discover two squatters in a building that's been marked for fire. It is then that Henry introduces Kai to his life's work, and the murders begin. Kai is never killed before, but he turns into a willing accomplice. Initially, the two men work well together, but as the killing spree increases in their depravity, it's more than Kai can handle. He wants out, but he's in too deep. So Penelope Milford, she was in Heather's as the kooky right. guidance counselor, Pauline Fleming. Interesting. Now that's For all a, our Heather's heads uh, listening. Of which I am not one of them. Don't watch that movie. Um, cool. All right. So I think that's too late for most of our audience. It's never too late. Um, all right, so moving on to what I've seen, I've only I watched four movies since we last recorded, um, and it's interesting because watching them now, I see that they all it, the first one I rated two and a half stars on Letterboxd, the second one three, the third one third, three and a half, and then the fourth one four. So it was clearly they got better. Yeah, they got better. As or as, your mood improved. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes. So the first movie we watched was Ninja from two thousand nine, which is a movie I've been meaning to see for a while. Um, it's I knew it because uh, because of one of the. The, the filmmakers involved in it was also involved in the canon ninja film series from the 80s, which featured Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, and Ninja 3 The Domination. Um, it's him based, the producer basically said, like, you know, we're going, I'm going back to what I know, which is ninja movies. Um, this one, uh, it stars Scott Atkinson, who is probably pound for pound the best martial arts actor right now. Um, and he's really good in it, but the movie takes forever to get going when there's finally like the ninja showdown in quote unquote New York City, which is totally not at all Bulgaria's film studios, New York backlocked set. Um, uh, that gets going, but the movie as a whole doesn't really tie together. Um, I mean, it's, it's fine if you like it. I started watching Ninja 2, the sequel that came out four years later. Uh, it definitely had way better fight choreography, but the storyline was even less there um then i watched city hunter starring jackie chan so this is interesting because this film is actually an adaptation of a uh, of a of a manga series called also called city hunter and this is something that jackie chan didn't produce himself or choreograph the fight scene so it's not as i wouldn't put it on like the top tier of jackie chan stuff but it's still fun and entertaining like it's him basically being a goofball moving around the movie is very surrealist like comic booky uh comedy um, it's basically Jackie Chan plays the character of City Hunter who uh, winds up on a cruise ship pursuing a girl who's run away from home but then is also nerded by terrorists who are trying to take over the cruise ship. There's some really great fight choreography, a lot of comedy stuff, and even like an extended Street Fighter 2 sequence where Jackie Chan dresses up as initially um, the sumo wrestler and then uh, Chung Lee, and he fights a evil white guy who's dressed up as Ken or Jen, depending, or was it, is it Ken? From the Street Fighter 2 series? I don't know. Oh, Ken, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, then there's two other Chinese guys, one who dresses up as Guile and one who dresses up as the uh, the yoga guy. Oh, uh, oh. And some unfortunate brown face, which I was just like, yeah, oh. But I, oh, man, it's it's bothering me now that I can't remember mm-hmm. that uh, guy's name. He had the stretchy arms. Yeah, they, they, they did that in the movie. Um, it's fun. It's forgettable. It's not top tier Chan, but it's not bad. Um, Dalsim. Dalsim. There we go. Um, and then I watched Fear Street 1978. So this is the second in the the Fear Street series that's coming out right now. I haven't seen it. Yet. Uh, this one is uh, I was I was scared off of watching it initially because it has a one hour fifty minute runtime. Uh, so I was like, eh, I don't want to watch it. But then a friend of mine told me like uh, John from the East Coast. He basically said like you have to watch it. It's really good. It's better than the first one. And so I watched it. and I'm like, oh, it is much better. It is. Should it's should, yeah. Should I check it out? Yes, hundred percent. Um, if like the first one, there's, there's still needle drops, but they're less intrusive. And I think it's also just because like, we didn't grow up in the era that this film is set, that it's not 
Whereas, like, I think Needle Drops in the 90s, one that's for kids now who are like, oh, this this is clearly set in this time, whereas, like, we actually lived through all those, ni- those Needle Drops from for real. Oh, probably also the filmmakers didn't live through this time. Yeah. So it's, it's less of a nostalgia trip for them. Yeah, and it's set at a summer camp in 1978. It's kind of, like, you, you kind of think it's going to be the setup of a Friday the 13th film, but it's it's drastically different. Um, I really enjoyed it. It didn't feel like an hour and 50 minutes long at, at all. Um, although it's interesting, because I was thinking, like, 1978, like, all the needle drops for, like, you know, of, like, rock, so- rock songs or alternative songs that are now known as classics, but I'm like, this was, like, the height of disco, so I actually did a look at Billboard's top 100 songs of 1978. Like, none of these songs cracked the top 40. <laughs> like, it's all, it's all disco. Like, the number one song of 1978 all was... All the cool songs from 1978. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, but they... So but, no Donna Summer on the... Uh... No, but the thing is, like, the, the reason why I think everyone was so angry and said disco sucks is because there was so much bad disco. Like, the number one song of 1978, do you know what it was? Boogie Oogie Oogie. Boogie Oogie Oogie. I, I don't even I, know I, how that comes. I know, I, I know, it, right? I no it's, it's like the worst... No, there are some great disco songs. Yeah, yeah, and so a lot of bad ones. The second one is... A lot of it was genuinely racist and homophobic, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the second number one song of the year was You're the One That I Want from Greece. And I'm like... Oh, no! Yeah, like, the top ten is, like, four songs from Greece and then five Andy Gibbs songs. So it's it's very and then boogie yogi yogi, uh, so it's it's not what it would seem, but it was cool to see because it's like kids back then would have been listening to disco. It would have been like do the hustle or some crap like that, not listening to David Bowie um, and that. But uh, really enjoyed the film, really liked it. And then this morning I watched The Commitments because it was uh, live on Hollywood Suite. Speaking um, of Alan Parker, because you mentioned yeah. Mississippi Burning earlier. Yeah, he directed Mississippi Burning. Oh, there you go. This movie still holds up. I still loved it. It's still great. I mean, there's that. Something about combining North American soul music with like dirt poor Irish musicians just it just fits together so well. It's such a fun movie, um, and like it's been forever since I've seen mm-hmm. it. But I just remember the the gag with the rotating drummers and stuff like that. There was only one rotating. Is there, drum. is there only one? There's only one. Drummer? Yeah, their their bouncer becomes their drummer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, like my former coworker told me that like Andrew Strong was only like eighteen when he did this movie. It's like what? I know <laughs> because you're because speaking, you know, we were talking about like people who were born old, and like that guy was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I highly still recommend. It's still a great soundtrack. Uh, it's good. Uh, so that's everything I've seen this week. So without further ado, let's watch Johnny Mnemonic. Ooh, and that was Johnny Mnemonic. Boy, was it ever. Uh, so where do we begin on this classic of Canadian cinema? Uh, well, the movie begins, I believe, in Beijing. Yes, and so does every, this movie has every bad cliche about 1995 in it. Well, here's the the thing that uh, we noticed right off the bat, Mm -hmm. is that uh, first the movie starts with a lot of text, sort of like um, cyber text, I don't know. Almost like the opening to Star Wars. And it's a ton of information, but uh, one of the things, um, uh, it's 2021, uh, there's some sort of a, a, a nerve, oh, oh shit, I should look it up on um, Wikipedia. Okay, here's the, here's the opening uh, credit crawl from Johnny Mnemonic. Second decade of the 21st century, corporations rule. That true. is true. The world is threatened by a new plague, also true. That's true. Nas, nerve attention syndrome, fatal, epidemic. Uh, it's caused and yeah, cured. Nas did win a Grammy, but 
He didn't cause SARS, though. No, or no. not SARS, uh, COVID. Um, its cause and cure are unknown. The corporations are opposed by the low techs, a resistant movement ribbon, risen from the streets, hackers, data pirates, guerrilla fighters, in the Infowars, which this kind of paints Alex Jones as being the hero of the masses. <laughs> the Infowars. The corporations defend themselves. They hire the Yakuza, the most powerful of all crime syndicates. I, I love this assumption that in the future the Yakuza is just going to take over. Yeah. They sheath their data in black ice, lethal viruses waiting to burn the brains of intruders. But the low techs wait in their strongholds, in the old city cores, like rats in the walls of the world. The most valuable information must sometimes be entrusted to mnemonic couriers, elite agents who smuggle data in wet-wired brain implants. So this is kind of, it's, it's interesting, because it's kind of like we're going to set this up like Star Wars, because it is a crawl. However, it does introduce the concept of mnemonic characters couriers which is similar to the opening text of blade runner yes yeah yeah this this uh has a lot in common with blade runner too i was pointing this out how like the the, the makeup that the low text mm-hmm. wear is all like this kind of across the face lines and yeah. stuff like that which you saw a lot of in blade runner it's like a 90s version of or blade runner like mad max like the, i guess especially at the road warrior yeah i mean they kind of look like uh the the low-tech gang which will which will introduce but a lot of them look like say i don't know extras in a Marilyn manson music video or something like that oh for sure the aesthetic is very 90s cyberpunk with a bit of steampunk thrown in yeah very 90s uh industrial goth is uh... that's the correct term cyber goth or according to buffy the vampire slayer the television series cyber pagan or no techno pagan Techno pagan, I kind of like. Yeah, that. that sounds like a great dance compilation. Anyway, so they do have uh, two things from 2021 that are true, which are masks, police brutality, and Nas. Mm-hmm. Still things. Yep. Um, and then we cut to, I guess, uh, Johnny, our hero mm-hmm. Johnny, who's I think John Smith. Yeah, Johnny Smith is his, uh, his actual name. He's waking up in a uh, black satin sheets in a nice hotel room. He's got a ten thousand dollar hooker. We assume. Mm-hmm. Um. Who uh, who goes out to get ice, even though there's ice in there? Which means she's leaving. Um, and uh, we just get a, a quick view of like the tech. Like the TVs are all kind of mm-hmm. they're not quite square. They're almost like rectangular, but like length fat rectangles. Yeah, but like set up so it's yeah fat rectangles, but like um, vertical vertical. Yeah. No widescreen TVs in 2021. No, no. Yeah, they didn't see that coming at all. Um, and then we, we quickly jump to Beijing where Johnny Mnemonic, or I'm just going to call him Johnny Mnemonic because it's going to be too difficult to call him Johnny Smith every time, uh, where Johnny Mnemonic is going to uh, meet a client because he's going to courier their information to uh, Newark Free City. Yeah, he's uh, he's on the line like we see him do a brief video mm-hmm. conference in his hotel room with Udo with, uh, Kier, um, who's like, oh, um, we'll, we'll get you, we'll get your more uh, gigabytes. He basically, at the moment, mm-hmm. he can only hold eight gigabytes in his head, which is not a lot. No. <laughs> That's a couple movies. Yeah. Or, or low, one really low-res movie. movies, yeah. <laughs> and then, so he gets it upgraded to, to 160. 160 gigabytes. While he's in the elevator heading up yeah. to his meeting, he's able to uh, plug in and upgrade it to 160 gigabytes. Uh, but when he gets into the meeting, it turns out it's 320 gigabytes worth of data that's going to have to go into his head. And as we learn... Uh, if you hold more data in your head than you have the capacity to hold, after three days, your brain will melt. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of weird terms like you, you might get synaptic seepage, which he's told to worry about. Which synapses, by the way, don't seep. <laughs> and uh, this might cause a non-coherent download, which uh, obviously you don't want. 
No, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> and and there's a weird there's a there's a thing where he, so he gets plugged in. So all these mm-hmm. gangsters, these Beijing gangsters, they 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 set up. They're all wearing glasses. They're very nebbish and nerdish. He actually calls them out immediately. He's like, "You guys haven't done this before, have you?" And they're like, "Uh, uh, uh sure we have." Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so they they plug him in, uh, and he says, "Hit me." And they've got these little uh, mini discs and stuff like that. The, the a, tech is okay, kind of adorable. So at, I know. And I like analog tech a lot, but there's so much stuff in this where I'm like, a USB key just replaces this entire, like he brings in a suitcase full of like, okay, we got to get the cable to connect it to the mini disc, to connect it to the reader, to connect it to the encoder. And then no, nobody thought of Bluetooth or any of this yeah. stuff, but I mean, you know. Or it is email for God's sake. Uh, they do facts in this movie quite a bit. Yeah, a lot of facts. Yeah. A lot of facts talk. And then the Yakuza shows up and... Well, it's encoded into his head, and I mm-hmm. guess it's... There's three images. Yeah. Which are the passcode. And one is a cartoon, one is just like a street image, and then one is a woman's face, I think. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't know what they are. No, he doesn't know what they are. Yeah. Because he is uh, in Cyberland. Mm-hmm. We see him briefly kind of go into Wait, to cyberspace. Wait, we, we totally forgot that the, the movie opens with The Internet 2021, which is <laughs> just a weird Lawnmower Man CGI kaleidoscope. Not a meme or Joe Rogan quote in sight. Where are we to find the Joe Rogan experience? God, that'd be such a great future if we didn't have the Joe Rogan experience. Um, <laughs> Phil, where do we go from here? Uh, so, all right, so the information's being downloaded, and then we see the Yakuza, they're making their way up, and... They all have cool, like, black leather jackets. Just like the Matrix. Yeah, very proto-Matrix. Uh, they come in, uh, the head of this Yakuza gang, he, protruding from his, from his thumb is this, uh, laser sword. Yeah. yeah. This is what I remember, this is the only thing I remember about the movie. I watched this in the mid-90s with my dad couldn't remember a single thing the only thing i remember is this laser sword mm-hmm. which is kind of cool it is still the coolest thing about the film i would argue yeah that nice tea um so and then phil so the yakuza show up they cause havoc and yeah they, they cut the door they mow down everybody in sight but not johnny who manages to hold his own yeah he's a regular action man in this movie uh, right at the beginning yeah uh, also, Graham, I, you you uh, point out here. You said Keanu aggressively does not have sideburns. <laughs> yeah, I made that note. <laughs> yeah. So, in spite of his like uh, data overload sickness, he's still able to kick ass. Yeah. Yeah. He has to uh, immediately after the download is done, and he's got all the stuff in his brain. He's like, I have to go to the washroom. Um, so he does that. We figured to take a big shit. Maybe, maybe I think all that data makes you have to take a shit. A wicked dump. <laughs> a wicked dump. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, so, uh, most of the Yakuza guys, well, they're, they're a mixed bag. It's not just a Japanese guys. It's a mixed bag of guys. And one of them is a, a bald white guy. Um, and he pops into the bathroom to attack Johnny and, uh, Johnny knocks him out and says, next time knock, baldy. And that's as good as it gets, folks. That's, that's what we're working with here. I laughed out loud at some of yeah. those, uh, these the one-liners, one-liners, but they're so cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like sub-Arnold one-liners <laughs> in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, basically the accuser are there to stop the information from being sent. Johnny Mnemonic escapes, and he's got one of the three images. They were trying to fax the images to Newark. Really the, interesting choice to put the... The free city of Newark. Yeah, yeah, free city of Newark. It's it's still a really interesting choice to put the the free whatever 
in uh, in Newark of all places, Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, I don't think we learn a lot about like what governments are doing in this world. Like we mm-hmm. never really understand. AT and T has dominated everything. Yeah, they have all Beijing, communications. Tokyo, AT and T is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just complete monopoly on all technology. Yeah. Um, but uh, the free city of Newark makes you think, like, what's going on in the states? What's going on there? Yeah. But they never really. Well, I think it. it's probably it's it's probably like a commentary on like Manhattan just became overrun by corporations, whereas the free thinkers are in Jersey. Man, they're listening to the Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band. They they got ran out by New York gentrification. So yeah. in Newark. And and the first and so they show a, a, a shot of the free city of Newark skyline, and the first thing that I think we all noticed. Is that it looks a hell of a lot like <laughs> like Toronto, Toronto of nineteen ninety five, yeah. It's got like, the, yeah, oh. the Bank of Montreal, it's got the T D Bank Tower. The C- Scotia Bank. <laughs> yeah, the CN Tower is somehow like Greeked out though. They we don't actually see it clearly. It's too Phil- iconic. They know they can't yeah. put that in there. Yeah. Only like I, I think it was Resident Evil Two where it's like, Yeah, there's the CN Tower. Yeah. There's a brief scene where you see the sort of see the shaft of the CN Tower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The CN Tower secretly shows up in a bunch of American movies, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands. I always remember it popping up in like Loser and that movie The Four Brothers starring Marky Mark. And it's just sort of like, Man, I grew up in this town. I bleed Detroit red and in the background it's the CN Tower. <laughs> and you're just like, All right, sure you do. Starring Andre uh Andre Benjamin. Yep. Yeah, he was all over Toronto mm-hmm. at that time. I was like at this vegetarian restaurant. And he was just sitting there alone. And he was just honestly sitting on his cell phone talking about hats. Just eating a carrot and a hot dog bun. He was. Uh, yeah. I remember he was filming that Jimi Hendrix movie, which never got released as far as I know. I think it did. It, but... it did. It just like it was. One, wasn't that the movie where it's like they couldn't actually get the rights to any of Hendrix's songs? <laughs> Probably, yeah. So it was like. And the they... Hendrix family is notoriously pretty, mm-hmm. uh, pretty stingy about that. Because there was already. Kind of like that David Bowie movie. Yeah, where it's like. <laughs> It's David Bowie, but none of his music. And it's like, <laughs> I think the only movie that ever worked around that really well was Backbeat, where they just had like, oh, these are songs the Beatles would have been playing at the time. Yeah. And they Covers, could, yeah. Yeah, and songs they could use Twist and Shout, because the Beatles didn't write that. They cover that. Um, but back to Johnny Mnemonic, uh, which I, I initially thought was spelled with a P at the start, like, yeah, like, like Mnemonic Tube. Well, um, around this time, we also meet the head of the Yakuza. Yep, who's played by... Uh, uh, Our boy. Beat uh, Takeshi, also known as Katano, Katashi, Katashi. Yeah, Takeshi Katano, yeah. There we go. Um, who, uh, who I pointed out, uh, created a video game in 1986 called uh, Takashi's Challenge, which is notoriously, like, uh, bad or almost like... Um, it insults you for actually playing yeah, it. Yeah, it, ins- it, it, it insults you. If you actually beat the game, it's like, why did you waste your time doing this? Yeah. Oh, the 90s. The man's a god. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically he needs to track down this Johnny Mnemonic guy. Johnny Mnemonic goes to... There's, there's a sadness. Mm-hmm. We, uh, the guy with the, uh, the laser thumb mm-hmm. comes in and, uh, he, he's not Japanese. He can't speak Japanese very well. So he says, speak in English so we don't have to use subtitles. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I love that part of movies. Yeah, I, I love that they made the commentary. It's like, yeah, your, your Japanese is very unconvincing. You clearly, this is clearly not your native tongue. So it's always a trope in movies that I love where you've got these foreign speakers and you're like, hey, let's talk in English so we, we can all understand each other, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, anyway, he's he's got a sadness, a grief, a loss, which we don't find out yeah. uh, right away, but it turns out his daughter, I guess, died from this, this, this Nas thing. Yeah, which actually isn't. But we learned from Henry Rollins that it's not Nas that causes the black shakes. The black shakes. 
Mm-hmm. It's 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 this machine, man. It's that machine, man. It's this. It's that. It's it's. Yeah. It's technology, man. Yeah, he was going it's for capitalism. That was Henry Rollins' like Oscar moment right there. It really was, yeah. yeah. Um, um, we we do meet Henry Rollins' character shortly after this. There's a uh, club, which you guys were thinking might be the Mod Club. I thought it was something. the Mod Club, but it, it's actually, Phil found out, it's actually the Opera House in Toronto. Oh, that makes sense. I have yeah. been to the Opera House. Mm-hmm. Um, and Udo Kier is uh, there with his uh, two female bodyguards. Um, and he's... And Dina Meyer, who plays... What's her character name? Her name, her character name is Jane, although yeah. uh, as I learned through Wikipedia... In the uh, the short stories, her character is actually the main character of this plot, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's Molly Millions is is her character name. Interesting. Well, that would make sense because you know it's as much as we like to think the '90s was all like progressive and hip and whatnot, which it was to a degree. Um, I mean, it still was like putting they wouldn't have a female fronted movie, and I mean when they did at this era, it was either Barb Wire, if you remember that movie, or Tank Girl. Tank Girl also starring. Yes. Yeah. Both movies are tanked. No, it's, pardon the pun. I didn't intend that. So, and it's like, and this movie, like, let's be honest, this movie also tanked, but it's as... Yeah, Tank Girl, I think, was also a 95 joint. Yeah. Um, yeah, 1995, they were really trying to make cyberpunk happen. Like, this was like the first movie mm-hmm. out of the gate, and then it was like Hackers and Strange Days, and those mm-hmm. movies bombed even harder. It's based... more man, too, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a bit later in Lawnmower no, Man. No, I think it was no, because it was before it was before Pierce Brosnan did Bond, which was yeah, ninety five. Yeah, the original Lawnmower Man's like ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. But I do want to point out that like it, it feels like all these movies and all these books are written by people that saw Blade Runner and were like, oh my god. You guys remember like, that Eddie uh, Edward Furlong movie where he's like in the video game? Oh, uh, Brain Dead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Brain, scan. brain Scan. Oh, sorry, not Brain. Yeah, there's another, the other movie, Brain Dead, which is the reason why Peter Jackson's movie Dead Alive couldn't be called Brain Dead in North America. Um, back to this film. Um, so basically, Dina Meyer, who plays Jane, she is basically a bodyguard for hire. Who and she's has, uh, she's close friends who, with uh, uh, Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins's character Spider, who's yep. like a uh, nerd doctor Doc, type. Yes. You can tell he's a nerd because he's wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. But he's Henry Rollins. Like, you could just tell he could wipe the floor with Keanu Reeves' character. Like, I'm <laughs> sure... It, he's sort of, like, playing it, like, nebbish. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. We should probably leave this club. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's get out of here. Um, it's like, you're Henry Rollins. You yeah. can beat these guys up. You, you had mitzvah <laughs> tattoos back before it was cool. Um, he's got the black flag bars on the back of his neck. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could just scream the lyrics to Liar at them, and they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I believe his occupation is flesh doctor or something like that. Yeah, I don't or flesh mechanic. I there think. we go, because he he fixes people with implants and stuff. Yeah, they're kind of like cyborg type characters mm-hmm. throughout. Yeah, the, the bartender has a robotic hand. Um, uh, but giant mnemonic shows up at this bar for some reason. Well, he he's here to right because Raffi. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Raffi screwed him over, and he's like, "Get this shit out of my head." We actually first see him get into a uh, cab, and we wish Toronto cabs looked like this. It's yeah, like this black old school like fifties car. It's almost like a checker cab from New- like from the old days of New York, but it's black, and it's got one of those. Everything is video phones. This yeah, is the the future conception from the nineties was like it's it's all going to be video phones. People are just going to talk, and it's going to be video phones. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. Um, and it's not because like who wants a video phone when you're like oh I'm taking a dump oh no um, yeah but nobody mm-hmm. thought of text messaging or social media at all yeah but, I mean what do you no mean? one saw it coming at or all or cell phones nobody thought cell phones would take off people are still using analog phones yeah, that they have to like booths. plug into a, a wall yeah yeah, yeah it's but very... it's it's, it's mm-hmm. video phone booths now mm-hmm. 
which would be awful. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> but uh, so where do we go from here? So basically, he meets Dina. Ma- no, that he confronts Raffi and Raffi's bodyguards. Basically, first of all, Dina Meyer wants to become Raffi, Raffi's bodyguard for the night, but he's like, you're a junkie, and I didn't hire junkies. No, actually, what happens... Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just remembering it. So, from the cab, Raffi tells him, oh, I'll, I'll get uh, I'll get that stuff, because all Johnny Mnemonic, at this point, because the deal's gone bad or whatever, he's like, I want this stuff out of my brain. I got too much in here, it's hurting. Um, so, and then um, uh, Raffi is like, oh, well, go here. I've got the I got the courier ready. They're gonna get that stuff out of your head. So just go to this location, and then he goes to this location, and um, there's there's that guy who who you thought was um radio radio Rahim. Oh right, they go to that area where yeah, some, yeah. some it's dude not radio Rahim. It's just no. It's, and this is where sort of looks like him. This is where we're introduced to Ice T and the low techs. But uh, he goes in and he meets the radio Rahim type guy. Um, we should probably get the actor's name. That'd be better. But um. And then all of a sudden, oh, snap, there's Baldy from the friggin' Beijing heist. Uh, and it's like, no, man, we're going to chop off your head. This is what we're here to do. Yeah. Uh, and then Baldy keeps on making the mistake of, like, trying to get a cool line off. And just keeps on failing. Saying, like, all right, man, get ready. You're dead. And then immediately, um, he's not dead. Um, Johnny Namon is able to make an escape uh, some way. He, like, uh, I think... I don't know, causes an explosion of some sort and gets out of there. Uh, Baldy chases him out. Um, meanwhile, Ice-T and his friend, who are uh, we find are low-tech um, guys. I think uh, Ice-T is yeah. the leader of the low-techs. His name is J-Bone, which is both kind of a cool and also both kind of a lame it's nickname. It's a dumb name, yeah. What's <laughs> like, your name? I'm J-Bone. J-Bone. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like the, uh, like the name, like a nerdy dude would pick would try to think of there's a lot cool. of that in this movie um but let's skip ahead because we're taking forever to get to, get oh, to the I'm basic sorry. premise well, anyway, no, no, uh, so uh they uh, j-bone helps him with his problem they kind of meet and it's like well i don't know you won they both save each other's life and then johnny mnemonic goes to the club to confront uh raffi here um and it's here where raffi sixes uh female bodyguards on him uh dina meyer having applied to become a bodyguard but he points out you're a junkie so therefore and she's like i'm younger and faster than these two um and then uh udo care straps uh catches johnny mnemonic and straps him down to a table with the help of his bodyguards and then uh the, the, the guy with the laser thumb comes yeah in. yeah thumb man comes in good old thummy <laughs> um and he uh he's like oh i'm gonna cut your head off and get all the information out of it and he's like wait maybe we can cut a deal maybe we can cut a deal and dina meyer like gets her stuff from the bartender which is like her her weird whip knife weapons and she does the thing that only occurs in movies she crawls into an air vent which is big enough for a human being to crawl through and not like a real air vent which is smaller than like a cat couldn't fit through there and um she's like seeing them as they're about to cut open his head and so she kind of bounces down and she also wants to kill him too for what reason and then he hires her. He's like, I'll pay you 50 grand. Yeah, she's just like, she's kind of uh, pimping herself out to the highest bidder sort of thing. Like, um, oh, I can kill him oh, yeah. or whatever. Udo I'll Kier get his officer head. 10 or 10 grand and he and Canada was like 50. And so she frees him and they run away. Also here um, introduced is another uh, 90s kind of sci-fi action trope, which is the canister of... Uh, uh, nitrogen, liquid nitrogen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. which which, which comes bad into guys play are always later using to freeze people and, and smash, smash their them. heads. Yeah, because it's uh, whatever. <laughs> um, where do we go from there, Phil? 
Uh, so. We... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, they they get chased out by uh, by mm-hmm. the thumb man, thumb oh, laser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who decapitates Udo here? Oh, he, he cuts him to ribbons with his thumb laser. Oh yeah, thing. that's the cool thing about this weapon. First, Udo yeah. here is like, "You could have killed me. Be careful with that." And then he just kills him. He's like, like a yeah. rack of beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just all slides apart. Uh, uh, they chase after him, uh, but um, uh, Dana and Johnny are smart enough to head to where I guess they know the low techs will be. Yeah. And they're able to get protection that way. Yeah, to escape. And then they go to see Spider, which is where Henry Rollins gives a standout performance. Well, actually, oh, yeah. no. Um, Oscar performance. Just yeah. Uh, well, no, isn't it that... Uh, convulsing. She, yeah, she starts to start to convulse, which is a scene in Metro Hall. Which I think you tracked down, Phil, because we were all like, "Oh, could this be?" Because like they they kept saying this movie is partially shot in Montreal and in Toronto. I think yeah. only one location was used in Montreal. Um, it looks like a shopping mall, but it's Metro but it's hall. actually Metro Hall, yeah. Which Metro Hall they can like just use for anything. So um, I actually have the real Toronto list of like all the the locations used in the film. So, I was trying to identify some of those mm-hmm. alleyways, but I couldn't. Yeah, we also should point out that. Um, Around this this time in the film, I this do is, like yeah. I, do, I did appreciate the very grimy look of everything in here. Mm-hmm. You know, how dirty the alleyways look. Yeah, and, they had to dirty up Toronto for yeah. sure, like they did with. Uh, like it's already dirty, but they they extra dirtied it up. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what they always say they have to do with American movies: is they like will clean out a uh, a alleyway and then bring in garbage. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. I've seen them do it too. You're just like, yep, and yep. This is like the Barbara Hall era Toronto, I think. Oh, yeah, it is. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and so she starts convulsing while they're in Metro Hall. This is also where Keanu Reeves, like, hacks into some system and talks to, gets the name of Dr. What was it? Allcome? Dr. Allcome, which just sounds like a porn website. Yeah, but it's actually, we learn later on from uh, from Ice, not Ice-T, from Henry Rollins, that it's a co- hospital code for when things are going crazy and you need all the doctors to come. It's like, Dr. Allcome to... Ward 7, and then we all rush in because there's something crazy going down. Um, Which I don't think that's... No. Why would you need all the doctors in the room? Yeah, let's fight them, guys. Come on. (laughs) We we need all hands on deck. Every single doctor in the hospital. Let's use our surgery hands to punch (laughs) out this crazy guy. Um, That's why they have orderlies and stuff. Um, So then... It's a code white is what you hear in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Where do we go from there? Um, Yeah, so also, meanwhile, uh, Takashi, this this is a fun little scene, too. Uh, Takashi. The boss's name, by the way, is Takahashi instead of Takashi. It's very close, though. Um, so he's talking on his video phone, and it skips to the interior of a church where a uh, with a Dolph Lundgren with a with a beard and a and a bad with a wig, aggressively <laughs> fake beard and an aggressively <laughs> fake wig. He's uh he's like a man of the church and he's he's flipping through an ancient what looks like an ancient Bible and that's where his video phone but is. it has a video screen inside it and that's where he uh, Takashi Takahashi um, uh, talks to him and and gives him a new job yeah and he's known his character is only known as the street preacher yeah and he has a he has a cross that is also a knife mm-hmm. he's that guy yeah and then uh, so they meet Spider aka Henry Rollins and he basically fills him in like. Oh, that stuff's buried way too deep. We need to find Jones. And it's like, who is this Jones? So then they go to... This is when the Aqua song Dr. Jones started... When uh, I started into, into my head, yeah. Um, so 
we um so then they're like oh we got to go to this special place and it's like where are we and i instantly was like this is union station it <laughs> is definitely so decidedly union station yeah and so they go through it and it, yeah like it's it's not even it's blatantly union station but it's kind of like become a uh an underground hospital to a degree where like people can by the way we also missed the fact that we we saw the elusive lower bay station toronto's ghost station or abandoned subway station one of them we have two we have lower queen and lower bay oh that's right because when they were initially yeah. escaping from uh the bad mm-hmm. guys they they go down a sewer and then they go through, through subway, subway tracks yeah, yeah. before they encounter spider yeah also on their way to union station mm-hmm. uh, the street preacher shows up oh right and spider just hits him with his truck because he uh oh <laughs> he goes to the bartender right remember the bartender with the mechanical yes. arm mm-hmm and um, he puts his hand in the in the uh, the nitrous oxide liquid nitrogen yeah or liquid nitrogen sorry and that's and he smashes his robot hand and the entire time I'm like Dolph Lundgren is flesh and blood and this bartender has a robotic arm shouldn't the robotic arm just be like no you missed that detail see when yeah. um, I think a few of the low techs are noticing that they say oh the street preacher is out man do you see him hey, apparently he rarely comes out but he's a notorious hitman and he's like. He's more machine than man now. So, oh, right. Yeah, the street right, preacher right, right. is mostly... Um, mostly machine. Yeah. Cool. Um, so then Henry Rollins hits him with a van, and it's like, why'd you hit that guy? And he's like, oh, it's better you don't know, because he's the street preacher. It's like, you should yeah. probably clue him in here, man. I mean, if, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of... I love that trope, like, it's better you don't know. Yeah. No, I think he should you know. You should know. Why did you just commit vehicular homicide? Guy, well, yeah. if this guy is chasing after you, you're going to want to know why. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Phil, where do we go from there? Well, we're at Union Station. Henry I Rollins. said, Phil, where do we go from there? I know, but I, 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 was, I was quick with it. Okay. Uh, he puts on the doctor's lab coat. Yeah, he puts on a doctor's lab coat. Uh, he's... He... Spider convinces Keanu to like strap down to a table, and uh, and Spider's uh, staying Keanu to keep Johnny Mnemonic uh, what the caveats are of extracting the information. Oh yeah, because he wanted to like cut open his head and be like, oh, physically remove it. It's like you might lose the ability to walk and like only remember things from three minutes ago, but it'll get it out of you. Forget it. They also figure out what's in his head though too. It's the cure for not for the plague or whatever they call it, the black and, plague, and like a bunch of Joe Rogan podcasts. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Some of those Patreon, Patreon account ones. Yeah, it's and the corporation's Pharmacon, right? Pharmacon, um, and so where do so we go from there? Patented big yeah. pharma. So uh, street preacher finally catches up mm-hmm. to them at Old Union Station, and yeah. uh, a scuffle ensues, and. Uh, Spider, uh, you know, uh, is able to sort of fight him off uh, initially while uh, Giant Mnemonic and Jane are es- making an escape. Yeah. But Street Preacher is, of course, overpowers Spider and impales him on... Uh, well, he does, he does it with scalpel knives, but he does the... Uh, he basically crucifies him. Yeah. Which is his thing, I guess. Yeah, because like, as soon as I said that, I'm like, oh, really? That's what he's going to do in this movie? And yes, it is. With some doctor light. Uh, he gets crucified on some doctor lights. Yeah. Yeah, very bizarre. Um, who, was the, who was the saint that got crucified? He looked more like that than like Jesus because his arms were way up high. Because there's, the, there's like a saint that was notoriously crucified like in a very uncomfortable way. Well, uh, St. Peter was uh, crucified upside down. 
Oh, right. No, not that one. The other one. There was one that was like his arms were up. Not oh, out. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. That one was in Kerry. Um, I don't know enough about the saints. I, I've, I've heard that apparently uh, Pope Francis has banned Latin masses, and this is causing a great deal of... Yeah, controversy for for all for all the Latin speakers <laughs> for all those like native Latin speakers. <laughs> casts are going nuts. Awesome. Um, so and at this point they go to the bridge, which is I think the only part of the movie that was not filmed in Toronto. Because the one thing Toronto doesn't have, we we have a couple. Yes. Oh, I can't remember when does uh, when does Johnny Mnemonic first surf the web with the hand gloves and oh, the iPhone. Oh, that's in between, again, that's in between going from... Uh, oh, that's before Spider. Before Spider, yeah. yeah so this like, is when this he learns is, about all, Dr. Alcum. So the the entire time that initially when he's with Dina Meyer, he keeps saying, like, I need to get online. And I'm like, do they not... He just wants to post. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, it's so easy to get online in 2021. Even in the subway, they've got... I mean, yeah, somehow in... In 1995, there were internet cafes popping up, but yeah, in yeah. 2021... It wasn't just everywhere. The internet, yeah. So they had to like go to this, like I guess it's a radio shack or something, get a whole bunch of like, I need my things. And it's like these two power gloves. Um, and like, uh, what what I thought was called an iPhone, which is basically, it's like a, a, VR, a VR helmet. Mask, yeah. But it looks slick kind of in a yeah. way. We um, guess it's iPhone EYE. And he surfs the net via like this kind of virtual yeah. reality method using the gloves. Which just totally reminded me of the VR episode of Community, which you guys, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's, I have not, it's but... hilarious because it's just, it's in, I think it's from like 2015. They probably based it off of Johnny. Yeah. And, they, and it's like the entire thing is like, why are you going after this like cumbersome like technology? Because it's like, oh, all of our files are stored digitally now. And so, like, he's walking on, on, like, a treadmill, and he's just like, I have to go over there. And you see him running in pace, and he's like, this is amazing. I can see my hands in front of my face. And it's like, or you could just use a computer. It's also, like, Michael Douglas in Disclosure, because, like, the corporation he works for, it's, like, some, like, file sorting thing. Yeah. But they use, but they need to use VR for for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. It, it also reminded me a little of Minority, Minority Report. Which, by the way, blows my mind. That's only six years uh, After later. This? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Whole different. Also, but Spielberg directed that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Not Robert Longo. Yeah. Who, by the way, what did you think of the uh, the camera work in this film, Graham? Lots of Dutch angles. Lots of fog machines employed. Like I'm like, hmm. <laughs> there's a fog machine in this like, next to this bridge going for some reason. Um, you, you could tell it's a, a bit of an artiste uh, cutting his teeth on, in film for the first time. You know what would be cool is if we turned the camera 45 degrees to its side. <laughs> you mean like Batman? No! Like art. Um, so, where are we now? Oh, so, after, well... Mm-hmm. By the, the way, the, the surfing wait, wait, thing sorry, was sorry, kind sorry. of fun. Yes, by the way. it was. It was hilarious to watch him just be like, "I have to do this and that," and like he use grabs his hands, things and stuff. And yeah. he's like, "I'll take this from but, Beijing and bring it to Newark." But the the thing is, he also gets there. There's mm-hmm. a pop up that that kind of a uh, oh right that blocks him sort that of blocks him, and he's like, "This is my domain, man. You can't get into yeah. this site." Hmm. As caught a mosquito in midair that was coming for me and, and i was also wondering how internet porn would work with these these two hand gloves probably like. very cumbersome <laughs> but they also probably didn't think it was going to be a thing in 1995 or 94 when they shot this movie but the the porn the, drives everything not some anymore some of the first photographs were were pornographic yeah. some of the first movies were pornographic yeah anyways um <laughs> what i was going to say is uh can we just 
let VR die once and for all, please. Like, it's never caught on. It will never catch on. Every five years, someone's like, it's going to be the new thing. It never, ever it's funny, is. I, in, in, like, 1995, I think it would have been mm-hmm. around 1995, I was at Canada's Wonderland, and they had a VR yeah. booth set yeah. up. And it was a long enough lineup, but I waited because I, I really wanted to try it because, mm-hmm. you know, you'd seen... Uh, so many Johnny shows Mnemonic, on it. Yeah. Well, not even Johnny Mnemonic, but so many shows on it. Lawnmower Man as well. And it's like yeah. virtual reality is going to be the new thing. And uh, I tried it. I tried a, a virtual reality game and it was kind of like, I mean, I died. It's not that right good. Away. Yeah, I know. I did that too in like 95, I think. And it was just like. A dragon killed me. Yeah, it I was like, like a polygon mm-hmm. dragon. It was. It was, it was not very shapes. good. It's like, oh, I can look around and I see my yeah. feet. My which hands. is neat. Which is neat. Yeah. But. Yeah. But then everyone bought those Oculus Rifts like 10 years ago, and they're all collecting dust right now. Or PlayStation VR, or anything else. There's, there's a few, like, uh, I played Resident mm-hmm. Evil 7, which is actually built for a VR engine, but you, you don't need a VR yeah, to play it's, it. Yeah, it's first-person perspective. I could, I could see it being neat. They dropped of. that with Part 8, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's just like, why? Why would we do this? Um, You're yeah. right, it's never going to catch on. That and Home 3D. It's all dead. Yeah. Oh, man. Remember when Home 3D was Every trying? Every TV, TV is going to be 3D. 3D DVDs, nope. 3D Blu-rays. Yeah, no. Nobody wants this. No. Because you've got to wear certain, you've got to wear glasses. And, and sit, a certain sit distance, at a certain distance. And your lights it. have to be dimmed to a certain. Nobody just, wants nah, that. Too much work. Uh, back to Johnny Mnemonic. Um, Phil, where are we? Oh, where are we? Yeah, where are we? Uh, We're at the bridge. Oh, yeah. We finally get to. Montreal. Go to the bridge. Yeah. This is where they're reunited with J-Bone. Yes. So this is the low-tech headquarters. Yep. And uh, some of uh, the... It's like a half a bridge. It's a demolished bridge. Yeah, but they use it as their hideout because it's like, oh, it's difficult to get to. I guess if uh, we were a New York or New York person, mm. we'd be like, oh, that's the bridge. It's probably the same bridge that Tony Soprano drives across yeah. uh, in the opening credits mm-hmm. to Sopranos, but... But instead, it's a it's a bridge in Montreal that's half collapsed, which is accurate for Montreal. <laughs> no one listens to us in Montreal. I don't care. Screw you, Quebec. <laughs> Stupid racists. Yeah. So there's so there's there. <laughs> okay, go go, Phil. Yeah. So there's a raised platform. So it's they're taken to the headquarters. And this is where we meet Jones. I keep wanting to call him Doctor Jones, but that's not right. Yes. No and time Jones, for love, Dr. Jones. And Jones, it is revealed, is a dolphin. Or as Keanu Reeves says, it's a fish. Yeah. But he's a dolphin with a VR helmet. And, I mean, I, I can I can believe that Jones is down for the cause, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm down with these low-tech guys. It's okay. I'm okay with my conditions. But he is in the smallest living conditions. He's pissing and shitting in that water. It's green. Yeah, it they, does they, not look like. Jones I don't think they have a filter going. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's just the tiniest tank, and somehow this this dolphin's barely alive. I know. Also, the other thing too is that, like, I don't think the people of this movie realize, or, like, remembered, dolphins breathe oxygen, and this tank, there's no way for him to like surface to breathe oxygen. He his tail goes above his water, tail goes so up, there, yeah. there must be a way for his blowhole blow to get up there too. Maybe is what I figure. But also, like, man, that mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. So it's at this point that they're like, oh, like, he can hack the code and do the thing. I love, by the way, the low techs are very analog dependent. Uh, but they're also like, we're going to just have, like, a billion 30 TV TVs sets. kind of just set up at weird angles. and, and that's gonna Well, be- as Ice-T, a.k.a. J-Bone, says, it's the heart of the resistance. So this is where all the good work gets done. 
where they hack the frame and do the thing and send out their signals. It's like the cathode ray mission. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the oh, inter- we do get this uh, this mm-hmm. part beforehand where uh, uh, before they go up to the the bridge where Dana and uh, Johnny are are. By the talking, way, her name is Dina. Dina, I'm sorry, yeah. that's right. I keep on thinking Dana Scully because it's the '90s. <laughs> yeah, um, Dina is. Um, <clears throat> she's like, well, you know, Johnny's coming to terms with the fact that he might have to die for this information, which will save humanity. Humanity. Uh, he might have to die for it to get released, and he's pretty resentful about that. And he yeah. goes on this whole tirade, very Nick Cage esque. He was yeah. very channeling Nick Cage in this. Movie. He was. He was a combination of Nicolas Cage and Chandler Bing from Friends in this film. <laughs> But he's he's he goes on this tirade about how he shouldn't be down here with these dogs. I should be up there in that city. And he's like, I want room service. He starts yelling yeah. at the screen. I want ten thousand dollar hookers. I want this and I want that. And eh. and Dina Meyer's just there sitting in dirt, addicted to drugs, being like, Oh, buddy. Well, also falling in love with him, apparently, yeah. because in the next scene, when they finally get up there, she's like, I need to make it with you. Yeah. And so they, they <laughs> kiss and then Ice-T interrupts them. Um, and then, uh, by the way, Dina Meyer, good actress. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, like she, she did a lot of, she was in Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers, As yeah. Phil said. And she was also in a bunch of the Saw movies. But it's like, she should have been bigger. Was she the um, Saw's kind of uh, right-hand woman? No, no, that was Shawnee Smith. Oh, she okay. was the cop investigating. Maybe it was just Saw 2. No, I think she was in Saw 3 as well. And she was in, maybe she was in Saw 1. But anyways, she, <laughs> I How can't, many Saw's have you seen? I see. I only saw the first three and I stopped after I think that. I got up to five. Wow. You're a braver man I missed braver the 3D one, I. though, with, uh, with uh, the guy from Linkin Park. Oh, sure. That's, that's a real miss. Um... So then up here... Also, I haven't seen Chris Chris, Chris Rock's Rock's, uh, Saw Universe film. Spiral, yeah. Apparently it's good. Yeah. That's what I've been hearing. I've heard nothing but terrible things. Okay. Well, mixed reviews so far, apparently. Yeah. Um, But so we're at this... um, So we're on the bridge, and this is when both the Yakuza and the the Farmcom, or Farm Tech, or Farm... What are they called again? Farm... Farmacon, I think. Farmacon. Um, they show up with bazookas. Yeah, they they want to do a whole bunch of stuff. And by the way, the low tech guys are all kitted out with uh, goggles and like, crossbows. Yep, because they're they all look like they're about to hit up the X Games. Um, <laughs> and uh, low tech but effective. Yeah, yeah. So it works, especially shooting downwards at someone in the dark. Um, and yeah, then the, the, some bazooka lady. She she starts like. Screw you guys. She actually gets a few uh, one-liners off yeah. while she blows up their headquarters, and then somebody just shoots her right in the face with a... Uh, yeah, but like bad one-liners, like, who called for some Bazooka Joe bubblegum? Not <laughs> not really, but that's just what I was... That would be better than actually what yeah, we got. What was, yeah, so... Um, and so at this point, um, Thumb Man shows up, and so does uh, Takashi... Or Taka... Taka who, what's his name? Well, in the movie, it's Takahashi. Takahashi. Yeah, Takahashi shows up. And By the way, he's credited in this movie one name, just Takashi. Yeah, he he would he would switch around because like that's why he was uh, beat Takashi or Takan or Takashi Katano. Um, but he so in this movie we also sh- find that he has uh, elaborate tattoos on his back in one scene. Yeah, where, yeah, in a, he, a vulnerable moment when he, mm-hmm. when we learn about his daughter's death. Yeah, that's when the ghost in the machine is trying to tell him like, do this. Yeah, there's a ghost in the machine that we I don't know if we yeah, mentioned. Very but much keeps on popping if, up. It feels like that was lifted from another Canadian production, the 
RoboCop the series, if you remember in that movie. Oh, I do remember that, yeah. In that, in that, uh, in that t- television series, there was a ghost in the machine that would communicate with RoboCop. Um, so where do we go from there? We are almost at the end of this movie, uh, thank God. Um, <laughs> it's, I don't know, some, some kind of uh, action happens. Uh, uh, things, things blow up. Uh, Takashi gets up there with his sword. Yeah. Uh, the, the ghost in the machine says, Hey, um, th- he has the cure to uh, Nas. Nasty yeah. Nas, mm-hmm. Nazir Jones, which can, which could have <laughs> saved your daughter eight years ago. Yeah, who died from this um, neurological attenuation syndrome. Yeah, um, he has a cure to it in his head. Mm-hmm. the The company that I founded, she reveals, yeah, uh, has been lying to you. Blah blah blah. And then he cuts the power. He doesn't want to hear this. Yeah. Um, and then he's a, he's I guess he's he's got a katana sword yeah, I think yeah like a short is, short sword or some some kind and uh, then he gets shot mm-hmm. by his underling yeah Mr. Thumb, thumb, thumb Man Mr. Yeah. Thumb Whip yep and this is when so Thumb and also yes randomly enough Street Preacher shows up Wait, we don't even know how oh, he gets right. up there yeah yeah but that's later on though no that's that's oh, right, right now because Dina Meyer fights him because he starts fighting uh, Dina Meyer yeah. while, uh, while Johnny Mnemonic takes fights on thumb, man. Thumb, thumb Sword Man yeah so thumb Johnny, basically like they wind up uh, hanging above from the bridge and Johnny Mnemonic points out like if you lose my head you won't get anything that's in it or something yeah, and if you lose my if, if you lose the head if I drop then you're fucked yep that's what he says <laughs> um and so then Thumb like, Man... I think you're both heft at that yeah, point. Yeah, So then Johnny Mnemonic grabs Thumb Man's thumb, takes out his own thumb whips laser sword <laughs> thing, and then cuts off Thumb Man's hand. Right. Head? I thought oh. it was his head. Yeah, it was yeah. his head. Uh, then Thumb the, Man... The, the greatest irony, mm-hmm. being, being having your own head cut off by your own thumb whip. Yeah, and so he falls down. The Johnny Mnemonic comes up. How does he save Dina Meyer? I don't remember. Oh, um, Dr. Jones comes into play. Oh, right. Basically, they somehow position uh, the street preacher into... Yeah, right, because Dr. Jones has a, uh, a... A sonic thing. Yeah, that he can focus his, like, like sound. <laughs> so they position that, and they get uh, they get street preacher into just the right position, and they yeah. position the kind of, like, the little sonic devices at him, yeah. and he burns up and blows up. Somehow. And that's the industry preacher. And so then finally Johnny Mnemonic gets the information out of his head and they broadcast it across the world through all the TVs. And then Johnny Mnemonic and Dina Meyer watch it. J-Bone, who has, I guess, been hiding out this entire time. He's been fighting the corporate guys. (laughs) Has he? Yeah, I think so. Um, He, like, distributes it. So now there's, like, the cure is free and it's everywhere. And then Johnny Mnemonic and Dina Meyer watch a building explode. Well, also, we get that, we get the little scare Mm -hmm. where it looks like Street Preacher is getting back up. Kind of like the Terminator, yeah. Almost. Um, but charred corpse of the street preacher, but yeah, because he gets yeah the sonic like focusing thing burns but, uh, him. But then I think uh, J Bone says, "Oh, he's just that's just piece of trash." Get it out of here! And it turns out it's like J Bone's men like picking up yeah, the street preacher's corpse. Up. He's not, and they chuck him into the water. And then yeah, so then I guess 
for some reason the Pharmacon's Pharm- headquarters explodes explode because they like no one can handle the fact the computer their computers can't handle the fact like oh my god we're not gonna profit anymore <laughs> I don't know why I went slightly Italian with that <laughs> and it explodes well I mean this is very 2021 with Bill Gates uh, patenting uh, vaccines <laughs> oh yeah. come on don't buy into that conspiracy theory 5G yeah that's us um, well, we all got we're, it we're, now. Yeah, we're not buying into the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, at this point, we're like, "Oh, are they gonna kiss?" Nope. Fade to black. Cut to a, a song by what is it? God lives underwater. God lives underwater. Yeah. The most '90s name for a band ever. Like it's right up there with Toad the Wet Sprocket. Although we do have KMFDM on the soundtrack as well as Stabbing West. Yeah, Stabbing West. Yeah, like sub filter, not even sub nine inch. Or yeah, we're not Orbital, even getting filtered. Orbital is on the soundtrack too, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. from from hackers and Mortal Kombat theme, and that was Johnny Mnemonic. It's no, over. No prodigy either. I mean, you, no. you think. That was later. That was like ninety six. I think their first ninety six, ninety seven on the Prodigy tunes. I feel like Prodigy came out in ninety four, didn't they? First yeah, CD. Even before this first one came out in ninety two, the Prodigy experience. But I don't think they broke in North America until post Britpop. Yeah. yeah, with Firestarter. Yeah, but like the stuff from like Music for the Jilted Generation was on like the Hacker soundtrack. They could have had some massive attack on here too. Yeah, but they wouldn't. It, again, it's Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> it's, it's not futuristic enough. Yeah, that's 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 the sound of 1995, not the sound of 2021. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, kept on saying like I, I would point yeah. out like a tribal tattoo or or how they were wearing their suits. The suits were too big. You're like that's 95 fashion. I'm like, no yeah. man, it's 20s fashion. Apparently, right. it's the 90s, bra. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> So that was Giant Mnemonic. Uh, oh, yeah. Finally over. <laughs> Phil, what are your thought, final thoughts on Giant Mnemonic? Uh, my thoughts are mixed. Uh, this movie could have been a lot better, but it does have a fair bit of camp value that makes me half enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> like like Keanu Hamza. But then like you also have like some really self-aware performances. Like You have like Udo Kier, who uh, he, he always knows what he's doing. Udo Kier kills it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And I, I'd say Henry Rollins kind of kills it in a way. Yeah, Henry Rollins is awesome in this <laughs> yeah. movie. He's just like Henry Rollins is incredibly oh, entertaining. When he went on that like thing of like, where's it coming from? Oh, it's coming from this machine and that machine and this, and it's just like, oh, it's so good. Um, I, I'd also say Dolph Lundgren is yeah. having fun. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's that element to it, but there's also um, it it, it kind of loses its momentum near the end. Uh, yeah. Is yeah. that is that it, Phil? Lightly, is, that, yeah. is that the end of your thoughts? More or less, yeah. <laughs> it loses its momentum near the end. Just, Phil just it, I think, I think, uh, I, I think I checked the runtime and it's an hour and twenty minutes, and it feels far longer. No, it's got to be longer. I thought it was like no, an hour forty. Like, it's like a ninety-five minute movie. Is it okay? But you okay. know what? I have to give it props for being ninety-five minutes because if it came out now, it'd be two hours twenty. Oh God, that would be yeah. unbearable. I, I believe this was a compromised cut. I believe the original cut was closer to two hours. That's true. Yeah, the original cut is one hundred and four minutes. Which is not slightly closer to... I remember that from the... Uh, from the Wikipedia article? Yes. <laughs> um, I do know alternative... 103 cuts. minutes, rather. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I do know alternative cuts of this movie do exist, like the 103-minute cut. Yeah, we don't need it. Um, 96 minutes. 96 so, minutes. Kit, what are your final thoughts on Johnny Mnemonic? Because um, this was your pick. It's my pick. I didn't realize it was my pick, but that's okay. Um... It's it's kind of a mess, unfortunately. It's like there's something there, and as a as a there's a lot of the aesthetics that I liked, um, a lot of the the their dirty, grimy alleyways and stuff. I even liked the uh, the the low tech gang 
kind of thing. Um, but it's just there's a bit too much going on, and not enough of not enough of it is explained very well, and none of the action is that great. Like you, you mm-hmm. never get a good action sequence where it's like, oh, finally the film film is picking up. It's it's mostly like exposition that doesn't make a lot of sense, mm. and um, <laughs> and dopey like uh, imagined what the future is going to be like in twenty twenty one which is off the mark. Some of the internet stuff is funny in a campy kind of a way. I almost liked it, is what I want to say. It was yeah. very close to, to really enjoying it, and I laughed out loud at a few of the one-liners. Yeah. But, ah, uh, it's not quite there. Mm-hmm. See, so my final thought is, I really don't have an opinion on this movie. Because it's, it's not like, it's not bad enough to be bad it's not cheesy enough to be it's cheesy it's got some fun parts it's got some fun parts it's got like i mean the internet stuff as much as it's just sort of like that's not true at all it's also kind of like this is wild that they're just doing this now we imagine watching it in 1996 and being like Ooh. yeah Ooh, yeah exactly maybe maybe the world mm-hmm. remember like that movie uh free jack with mick cage no mick, mick jagger mick jagger and emilio estevez yeah <laughs> back when emilio estevez was going to be a big action star yeah, no, I, I got no, I, none of that. I mean, it's it's one of the things where it's like, I don't hate it. Uh, like you were saying, it's almost enjoyable. Or almost No, it's almost good. It's almost to the point where you're like, I kind of like this on. Like, it's not like, like, here's the thing. I like Hackers because it's bonkers. But this I, isn't bonkers enough. I know. And yeah. like, the thing is, like, I'm just reading a little bit of the behind the scenes of like, so like Molly Millions, like in the That's original the, the story, Jane character, the yeah. Jane character, she like her character in the book had retractable razor blades under her fingernails and augmented vision. If she just started busting that out of nowhere, my god, that'd be so much better. They obviously yeah. didn't have. It's weird. They I think didn't have the budget for that, but they also they did. did. Well, I don't think so that they didn't have the budget for it. I think they just, also wanted to make a low budget art film to begin but, with. But and that I wonder got how changed. that would have looked like. That would have looked like Tetsuo the Iron Man, basically. Um, but which th- would have been really cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen Tetsuo? Tetsuo I have kit? not, unfortunately. It's a rough night, sixty minutes, but it's it's way it's crazy. Um, but uh, with regards to this film, it's like I think it just came down to like studio interference and creative choices, where it's like we can't go that crazy with it, and it's like no, you should go that crazy. Like somebody should be pushing it forward. I think I remember um, it was a it was a Siskel and Ebert argument over remakes, and they were like. Mm-hmm. Um, you shouldn't remake good movies. Why are you remaking this classic movie that everybody loves? You should take bad movies that are almost good and remake them into good movies. And I would love to see, like, an updated Johnny Mnemonic, something... um, Set in 2021? Well, they would have to change some things. They could do that still. I mean, that might be Mm -hmm. fun. Just imagining a um, retro-futuristic 2021 that that never came to be. Mm -hmm. But uh, they could make a much more fun movie, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. If they wanted to, because it's almost there. It's almost there. That's that's. I think that should be in the title. It's almost there. Um, a couple of notes that are interesting. So, Liam Gibson was very unhappy with what became of this adaptation of his story. Despite him being credited as the sole screenwriter, he has insisted for years that it wasn't his screenplay that was ultimately produced. Damn. Sony mm. Pictures. They did something. Uh, another fun thing that I saw is the Japanese writing seen above the Internet 2021 title card at the beginning of the film is actually directly translates into English. Guess what it guess what it actually means? What does it mean? I can't. Hackneyed cliche. <laughs> yes. Someone was being clever there. Um 
so and also the script was rumored to have been dr- dumped on the doorstep of Keanu Reeves's house, a tactic that piqued his interest and led to him to accepting the role of Johnny. So, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, this movie is it, it is it has kind of almost a classic Keanu vibe too. Like yeah. he has that bad acting almost good acting kind of a but he didn't go far enough like he didn't go like that's the thing like the matrix kind of like nailed that whole Keanu aesthetic whoa yeah i know kung fu um like where it's bad acting but it's also perfect for the role exactly whereas like this one i kind of almost i would have actually i didn't even know what his character was doing like what his motivation was for most of the movie to get this stuff out of my head (laughs) um but i would have liked to see if henry rollins had played the lead Oh, yeah, if Henry Rollins' character had more of a role in this movie, yeah. it would have been better, actually. Because mm-hmm. he also just disappears at I the end. I vaguely remember, because I saw this movie in the theater, and I thought that Henry Rollins' role was bigger, but I guess it wasn't. That's how I remember. You were just so the, stoked to see Henry Rollins in a movie? Obviously. In life, man. Yeah. All right, so. Yeah, so I guess, like, Keanu is sort of like a, he's, he's a courier, so I guess it's just his, he's just a contract worker. Yeah, pretty much. The precarious gig economy, economy yeah. which uh, this also nails the gig economy. The the laser thumb whip is still cool. Um, I, I liked how they. It should have been used more. Even I I remember it being a much bigger factor when I when I saw it. Yeah. I also think like we might have watched it. I remember Fox used to show movies on Friday nights that were pretty good, but there was commercials and stuff like that. And I think my dad and I probably watched it on one of those in 1997, yeah. and I think I fell asleep part of the movie probably because it's a bit boring at times yeah that's the unfortunate thing because like i was like there was a certain point where like i was i'm close to nodding off which is unfortunate i mean granted we also started watching at 8 p.m which we never do anymore and i had two beers so that might have there's a lot going on in this movie but it's also somehow uninteresting at times yeah yeah well that was giant mnemonic we'll be back next time i'm glad we finally got it on the pot i am we got it before 2021 was over yeah yeah it's set in January 2021, yeah. mostly, mm. but... Uh, yeah, so, well, well, we're, who knows? And it was also fun mm. just trying to identify Toronto landmarks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, Phil, it's your choice next. Do you have your choice made? I do not have my choice made. All right. So it will be a surprise. Okay. All right. And with that, uh, for Death by Video... I've been Phil. I've been Tiff. And I've been Graham saying... Keep watching amazing movies. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you made it this far, this is one of our longer episodes in a while. Uh, Good night.